We're in the book of Titus. We've been tracking through here pretty slowly. Today we're going to take out a whole chapter. How about that? Can you handle it? We good? There's, uh, you know, when you learn how to teach scripture in particular, there are times they say when, um, in comparison to playing a guitar, there are times they say when you when you need to really you need to pick the passage. You need to you need to pick it. You need to be specific and hit certain chords, certain notes. And uh, there are also times when instead of picking at each note and being very specific, you need to just strum the text. Today, I think, is one of those times where we need to, we need to strum the text. There will be a time, perhaps later on down the road, where we come back to Titus chapter 2. Uh, my heart is huge for discipleship and older men discipling younger men and younger men willing to submit themselves to older men, uh, the same with ladies. My heart is huge for discipleship, so I want to tell you that it took everything I have not to talk about discipleship because this is a huge discipleship passage, but we're not going to do that this morning. Instead of picking at the individual pieces of chapter 2, we're going to strum it because I think if we strum it today, you're going to get a, you're going to get a better feel for the heart of Paul. You're going to get a better feel for where he's going. Because in chapter 2, I think, I think he's really on this holy rant. I think, he's just, I think he's just so consumed by what's going on on the island of Crete and with Titus and with those who he's trying to raise up there as leaders. I think he's so consumed by the truth of the doctrine of the gospel. I think he's so consumed by all of that that he just, he just explodes in chapter 2. And so I don't want to, I don't want to bog you down. And I say that from time to time, and I end up picking some things anyway, so just deal with me. But we're going to try, and in our short time, we're going to try and get through all of chapter 2, because I want, you to see, I want you to see the melody of what he's trying to communicate. I want you to feel his heart. I want you to just to get the broad brushstroke here, okay? Uh, back in chapter 1, let me give you just a quick review. He told us who he was. The Apostle Paul gave one of the most extensive introductions or greetings in all of his letters in such a short book. In my Bible, it's two and a half pages. He gives four verses, this long, extended, run-on sentence about who he is and why he's doing what he's doing, what his heart for the gospel is, his trust in the Lord, his trust in his salvation, why, why, he, why he's committed his whole life to this thing of the gospel. And so he goes on and on and on in four verses, this long, run-on sentence. And then he goes directly and he turns to Titus, who the letter is addressed to. And he says to Titus and all those at the churches on the island of Crete who would be listening or who would be reading this letter as well. And he says, listen, you need to raise up some men. You need to raise up some men that meet some specific qualifications. You remember, we went through these qualifications. Did you notice? Did you notice the emphasis? Did you notice the theme of the qualifications? The theme of the qualifications was the character of the individual. The character of the individual. Now, that character, he said, is based on their orthodox view of Scripture, their orthodox theology. And so the whole emphasis on the qualifications were, pick a guy whose life does not contradict what he says with his mouth. His life does not contradict his creed. All right? And then we got down uh, in the rest of chapter 1, 10 through 16, we found out the context. We found out the context of why these men are needed and why their character is so important because there are erroneous individuals who infiltrate their way into the church. They bring with them error in doctrine. And because of the error of their doctrine, because of the error of their foundational beliefs, he says in the end, their life bears the fruit of that error. 
And he said we need to deal with that. And the way we deal with it is we raise up our own men who can both exhort in the word of God and refute those who contradict the word of God. And with an offensive team and a defensive team, with this dual attack, we can say to those who would bring in erroneous beliefs, we can say to them, that's, that's not correct, and here's why that's not correct, through God's word. And we can correct, hopefully, to receive that brother back again. But if not, he says, he even goes as far as to say, we have to deal with this. In other books, he'll say, we have to take them out so they can't be a cancer to the church. We can't let that spread throughout the church. We can't let that error remain. Satan has his men, and he'll supplant them in the church. He'll hide them in the church if he has to, to create this, this undergirding of error that will spread throughout the root, the root structure of the church. We have us. They say they're on God's team. But look at the evidence. But by their deeds, they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. There's nothing about these individuals' lives that backs up what they say is truth. Now, at this point, I think, here's where Paul goes into his, his, his holy rant, if you will. It's as if he just turns out of frustration for those who have brought error into the church and turns out of frustration for searching for men who can be trusted to care for the flock of God, the flock that he purchased with his own blood. And it's as if he explodes and he says, Listen, church, we can't live like this. Because remember, there were those who found their way into the body of Christ in this particular church who were who are causing dissension, and who he says were killing whole families, spiritually speaking. They were wreaking havoc. Their life didn't match what they said they believed. For those men we raise up, your life has to match. And then he turns to the rest of us. He turns to the laity. He turns to the church. And he says, listen, your life has to match. Let's look at it here. Chapter 2. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny. That's what, what the word sound means. It's a doctrine that brings health to the church. Now, let me point. I'm going to pick right here, okay? Because you've got to see this because it sets up the rest of the chapter. Verse 1. But as for you, speak or proclaim or teach or uh, send forth. All right? Get the truth out there. And here's, here's what you need. Here's the kind of truth you need to get out there. Truth based on sound doctrine which is fitting for sound doctrine. So here's the deal. He's not saying that they need to be teaching specifically right here sound doctrine itself. He says, listen, proclaim the things that are fitting of sound doctrine. Meaning, proclaim the things that go along hand in hand with a sound theology. If you say you have a theology, it better produce a life that is godly. He says... Teach the things that come right along with sound doctrine. Okay? Now here, he's going to go into it. He's going to give us a little bit of a sampling of what this church will look like that is founded and rooted in sound doctrine. What will, what will the plant look like that grows from that root? What will the fruit look like in that church? And he's going to look at different individuals, and he's just going to go down the line here. And I think he's just going to pour his heart out here about what the church should look like. Check it out. Verse 2. Older men, he starts right at the top. Older men, 
are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage, or literally the word is train, so that they may train or disciple the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Are you getting a picture of what the church is supposed to look like? Paul says, listen, you guys who are older in the faith, here's what you need to look like. Your life needs to match the theology you say you believe. Older ladies, your life needs to match the theology you say you believe. It should show up in these ways. Keep going. Jump down to uh, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. So we've seen older men, older ladies, young women, and now young men. Be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, or literally, uncorruptness in doctrine. You think, that, think that's relevant for the context here? Uncorruptness in doctrine, dignified. Verse 8, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Have we seen that phrase before? Just like the elders, we in the church, from the top down, the older guys, the older ladies, to the young women, to the younger men, we all have to line up our life with the theology we say we believe. Keep going. Verse down. Uh, jump down to verse 9. Urge bond slaves. We've seen this word before in Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, you granted right now, this would be almost like an employer. Now look at what he says. How are we to look on the job even? Verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters, or maybe their employer, in everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Do we need that word today? I mean, do we need Christians in the workplace to live holy lives, to quit stealing pens and pencils, quit stealing time in the workplace from their employer? Yeah, we need that. Is it a hard word? Yeah, it is. Do we all have some place in this list to check our life to our theology? We do. We do. Paul says, raise up these men. They have to be of this caliber and character. Because Satan's got these kind of guys dragging us down. Church, we all have to raise the bar in our own life to match our theology. To match our theology. Can I give you one of the purposes here? Go back. Go back to verse 5. Three times Paul alludes to a goal or to a purpose. Verse 5 is the first time. At the end of verse 5, he says, So that... Now, you remember, it came off the end where the young women sort of love their husbands, their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And then he says, so that. Now, here's purpose. Here's reason. If we don't do these things, you follow me? Here's what he says. For the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of his word and its truthfulness, for the sake of those who we preach the word to, be sure that our life measures up, lest we, with our life, lest we, with our life, cause the Word and God to be dishonored. That's huge. It's not just about us. It's not just about us. Our life, what we do with our life, how we live our life, it reflects on our own character. Sure enough. First and foremost, If we name the name of Christ, we have to know that what we do 
either honors or dishonors God's very word, his promise. And here's how this works. When we say we are in Christ, when we say he has saved us, and our lives have been changed, and then our life doesn't show that change, it doesn't measure up. It doesn't measure up. And more often than not, who's to blame? Who gets blamed from the outside looking in? Not the individual who doesn't, who doesn't cause their life to measure up, but the promise of the word of God. They say, well, the gospel must not be good enough to actually effectually change this man's life. Go to verse 8. We get another so that, verse 8. It says we're to be sound in speech, which is beyond. It will be a discredit to our own witness and our own character. He says our life needs to be of such caliber that not only can... Uh, our adversary not say or find anything negative or sinful about our life. Not only that, but if they ever do speak out against us, they would, be, they would be ashamed by their own words because it would be so obvious to everyone else who is around that this man, this woman's life, lines up with what their theology is. You see, the honor of God's word, the honor of his promise is at stake. Our own character and our own testimony, our own power and witness is at stake. Now keep going. Look at the end of verse 10. These employees, bond slaves, he calls them, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Here's another cause. Here's another purpose. Why do we, why do we make sure our life lines up? We make sure our life lines up so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Here's what it means. That word adorn, it's the word in the Greek, cosmeo, and we get the word cosmetic from it. So this is a cool picture. Check this out. He says, the doctrine of God, our life, is like a cosmetic, active, and desirable. Our life should cause those who look at our life from the outside, who don't have Christ, to say, uh, say what? That our life draws them to God and His Word and His Gospel of grace. E. Stanley Jones was a famous missionary to India. The story goes that he once had a, had a meeting with Mahat Gandhi. And uh, he asked Gandhi, he, he said, Gandhi... Um, I don't really know how the conversation went down. It's sort of an interesting union there, interesting encounter. But he, he essentially asked him, he said, you know, how can Christianity become more attractive to the people of India? What should we do? And Gandhi's response was, he said, tell your Christians to start doing more things like Christ. Isn't that good? Isn't that condemning? Tell those who would name the name of Christ to start looking more like Christ. Tell those who say they have a theology, who say they have a belief and a doctrine, who say they have trusted in a gospel, in a good news. Tell them to match their life. And they would gain an audience in India. Listen to what one. Their work... 
by their respectful attitude, by their honesty, and even their loyal service to their employer. We adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. The guy who taught me the Bible once told me when we were going through the book of Titus uh, in relation to this teaching, he said, um, he said, you know, and this is a large church in North Texas, a couple thousand people at least, and, uh, and many staff members. He said, you know, we hired this new staff member, this one staff member, and his, his only job was to, to do community service type ministry. And he said the guy wasn't on staff one month, and he planned this event, and he got some people from the church, and they went out and they renovated a, a low-income apartment complex. They went in, they painted, they planted trees, planted bushes. They did all kinds of stuff. They didn't ask anything of the apartment complex. The people in the apartment complex just kind of stood back and wondered, why in the world are these people doing this? Uh, he said that the guy who was in charge of it, that they hired on the staff, got his picture on the front page digging, you know, he's planting a tree or something. He's on the front page of the Denton Chronicle. And now you kind of got to know the guy who's telling the story, but he, he kind of chuckled and he said, I've been teaching in this church for 25 years. I've taught Romans three times. If you know anything about teaching Romans, we're in Titus, you think, for a long time. When we get to Romans, it could be a year or two, okay? So just hold on, all right? Guys teach Romans for years. That's the point, okay? It's a long trek. Romans is words. This guy had the deeds. His life matched up to what he said he believed. And it, and it made a difference. It, it mattered. We can't let our lives contradict. Now, here's where I wanted to go from the very beginning. And I think i got time to do it. Verse 11. In this spiritual ramp, here's where, here's where Paul goes. I think he just blows up and he just, it, all this just kind of pours out into worship for him. He just ends with Jesus. Now watch this. Check it out. Verse 11. And this is, I think, for Paul, the cause, the prime mover for his very life. It, it's the purpose behind everything. I mean, the goal would be the, uh, the witness that our lives measure up so that we're not a distraction to our testimony, so that God's word is not dishonored or blasphemed, so that those who would speak out against us, uh, they wouldn't have anything to say. I mean, those are sort of goals for living the right way. But here's, here's the underlying purpose for why Paul does everything that he does. And I think this is, this is why he ends up here. So to say to the church, listen, church, your life needs to measure up. And if you're having trouble with that, here's where you go. You go back to Jesus. Now, check this out. This is great. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, church, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God, it grows us up. It changes us in these ways. Instructing us to deny ungodliness. That we start to look more like our Father our worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. When? In this present age. What is this present age a reference to? It's a reference to this time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. It's the time that we live in right now, and it's a context of error. It's a context when the world says that we're crazy. It's this context of spiritual hardship where it's not so easy to live the Christian life. It's not so easy to hold to the theology and the doctrine, especially with our life. But he says, listen, you've got to hold fast 
to it in this present age. And now in the next verse, he tells you how we do it. How do we get through in the context that we're in right now and bring our life up to the level of our theology? How do we do it? Now, here it is. Check it out. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. How do you get through this day? Here's what he says. Church, keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up. Look ahead to the day when Christ will return to gather all those who he has called. One of my favorite passages. You can flip back just a page if you want to. Favorite passages of Scripture. A man at the end of his life. Here's what he says. Start in verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He knows it's drawing to an end. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, and not only to me, but look who else. To all those who have what? Loved his appearing. To all those who have raised their sights, have taken their eyes, taken their ambitions off of the here and the now, the present age, have taken their eyes and their ambitions off of the here and now, this world, and they live their life in such a way that you can tell that they know what is to come and that they know who is to come. There are some of us who don't live loving His appearing, however. Keep going there in Second Timothy verse 9. It says, Make every effort to come to Me soon. Here's why. This guy named Demas... He used to be a faithful guy. I could take it to another passage where he was faithful at one time. But now Demas, it says, as opposed to loving the appearing of Christ, living with his eyes up, it says he's loved the Christians here. We need to pull them together. We need to organize. In the context of error, in the context of people teaching whatever they want to teach, we need to raise up some men who are orthodox in their theology, who have a foundation of truth. But more than that, More than that, in the context of error, we need people whose lives equate to their theology. In fact, the guys who bring in the error, if you look real close, their life doesn't line up with their theology. And church, here's what we need out of you. From the top down, from the old guys to the young guys, from the older women to the younger women, on your job as a parent, as a child, wherever it is, in the church, we need your life to start measuring up so that we don't discredit our witness, so that we don't dishonor and blaspheme the Word of God. You want to know how? Go to Jesus. Church, lift up your eyes. Get your focus right once again. Get your focus right once again. Let's pray.